Hello and welcome to this episode of the Nothing Mentioned Primer with me, Arish Shah. Today I have with me via Zoom from Southern California, Zeka Len. Zeka is general partner at Responsibly Ventures, a pre-seed VC impact fund backing remarkable teams focused on sustainability and social good. Zeka, it's great to have you with, here, with me here today. Arish, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on your podcast and just really have enjoyed getting to know you a little bit so far. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, like the preamble to, to this conversation was uh, enough for a podcast on its own, but let's dive straight in. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do a bit of a, a quick fire, which is a slight change to our normal format. Uh, on our I'm partner. ready for it. Um, so let's go. Uh, what was your first job? First job. Uh, okay. So that's a tough question. Let's see. You know, um, you did give me permission to tell you about this. This is the first time ever mentioning this in public. So I'm actually going to share this as a story. Uh, thank you for that question. Really, again, wonderful to be here. Okay, so here I am in the fifth grade in the US. And it was about, I think we we're like 13 or 14 or something like that. My This is way back in the 80s. And you may have recalled as, as a kid, I don't know if this was your experience, but as a kid in the US, we had sort of this baseball card craze. It turned out that it was a bubble and it was one of the first sort of micro bubbles before, you know, crypto bubbles or, uh, you know, the, the 2000. The original NFT, right? <laughs> right, exactly. The original NFT. And um, so my brother and I were really deeply uh, uh, excited about baseball. It's the national sport in the U.S., and we would know, all, you know, we'd go into all the stats and who the best players were and who were getting traded. And we were kind of geeky, you know, but we loved our baseball. Right. And one day my dad came home and he said, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. He was a designer, architect and uh, builder. And he came home and he said, you know, you boys, you really need to get some experience in being entrepreneurial. <laughs> we didn't really know what that meant or anything. And he said, I have an idea. And he brought this this newspaper clip home and he said, uh, apologies to my to my family in advance for the story, but it's fun. Uh, he said, here's this this father and two sons in a local area in Washington state where I'm from. And they started this baseball card shop shop together. He says, this seems fun. We should try something like this. And we said, well, OK. And my, my dad said, here, here are the rules. So we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna loan you a thousand dollars, and you're gonna buy inventory. I didn't even know what inventory was. <laughs> and uh, so he took us to our local baseball card swap meets and things like that. And we we started buying packs and you know uh, singles and cards that were a little bit on the higher end, or you know some boxes, all this stuff. And uh, we ended up getting an inventory, and a friend of his helped us get a space and so in that space it was in the corner of this metal shop which you can appreciate i'm sure uh, uh so it was in the corner of this metal shop and there was a door in it and two windows in the middle of our small town up in washington state and so we thought here we go we put a sign out we built a few cases and a friend of mine my best friend um he he uh, he worked with my brother and I, and we put out these cards neatly in all the cases and started telling our friends about this. Well, we didn't quite realize how wild that experience would be because we were only open two, three days a week after school. You, you know, this was really just very humble. And um, 
what happened is a lot of parents and their kids would come and they would spend a lot of money every week, way too much money. <laughs> and the prices were going up so fast that people were so excited with the, say, a card like uh, the Mariners had this player called Ken Griffey. His name was Ken Griffey Jr. His name is Ken Griffey Jr. And at the time, that was the hottest card. It went from $1 to $90 in a year. So 90X in a year, right? And people wanted to get this card. They were willing to do anything to get it. And so we saw that a little bit of kind of a craze. My learning from that is um, someone who really didn't pursue the field of becoming a later entrepreneur, as I decided I wanted to be on the investing side, was that there's a lot of psychology that goes into when, when the markets are hot, when there are opportunities that are um, exciting people, they act in sometimes irrational ways. And part of my job is to kind of figure out as an investor, when am I also acting somewhat irrationally? And how do I avoid, you know, going into things that are less quick wins and more long wins? Amazing. I mean, uh, it takes me back to kind of some of the crazy stuff I did. I think I used to make and sell mixtapes in my school until uh, the administrators Spoke. found out that I was preaching copyright, probably. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut that down pretty quickly. Um, and so what did you do directly before you got into venture? Yeah, I mean, I had a, a kind of, of a wandering path. I, I was in my mid-20s when I started to get a little bit more serious about academics. And I thought I was going to become an environmental journalist, of all things. I loved investing and I had this goal to be a longtime investor, but I didn't quite match up the idea that sustainable investing could be something that I pursue academically and then professionally. Uh, so I, I got into the field of environmental economics and I studied, eventually studied that, got into working with this New York based firm that was one of the longest standing environmental consulting firms. They worked with a lot of NEPA and SEPA environmental impact. Uh, projects across the world, actually, and had had a chance to do mostly across the U.S. different um, environmental assessments on on impact, and uh, worked with a team of economists, environmental planners, environmental scientists, and engineers. It was it was tr quite eye opening. Um, from there, I branched out in uh, we I started a consulting firm for some years with my wife, and that was amazing. Um, we worked in sustainability, logistics, and supply chain, and then later. Um, I really in the pursuit of, I had this vision of starting an ESG hedge fund over 20 years. So my goal was always set on this thing of trading. I thought it had to do with the public markets. I thought it had to do with managing a hedge fund or something like that with a, an activist uh, um, uh, angle. And so I taught myself data science, data engineering, and these things. I started working in that field a bit. I worked for a family office. And then Eventually, I realized um, that once I was accredited, maybe I could put some money to work as an angel. And so the last five years, I've been focused as an angel investor um, before I got started on the fund and invested in about 40 to 50 sustainability and social good focused companies. Um, just built a website called zekalen.com. You can see all the portfolios or all the angel investments I made. Mm. That was kind of fun. Just did that recently. And um, yeah, so it's been going great. Hit 80% IRRs over a four or five year window as an That's angel um, among the top, among the top decile, uh, just being hypercritical on what sustainable, what value sustainability adds on a, on an expected return basis. Cause most of this is all forward looking. So there's no, there's no like uh, 
there no there are very few exits to show that this is actually real. It's hyper speculative, just to be clear. Yeah, I no mean, financial it, advice, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, like angel and VC is the you know is it's the one in- industry where you only find out if you're right ten years on, right? Like it's 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 pretty yeah. difficult <laughs> to get it. It turns out that I'm not right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what would you what would you be doing if you weren't a VC? You know, it, it just happened. It it was happenstance that I I didn't really real I didn't realize how much I love supporting entrepreneurs, and I didn't realize how much I love entrepreneurial aspects until I kind of stumbled into the idea of doing some angel angel investing. So I really can't imagine doing more than what I'm doing right now. It's um, every day, you know, just to share a little passion. Every day is an opportunity to help someone else level up their game in one little way. And the trick is not getting in the way of things. You know, I I don't know a whole lot from the standpoint. I've never raised venture capital before as a founder. I've never scaled a tech startup. So when I started five years ago, I started scouting for about 10 funds. And then I also did the angel vesting. And with that, I realized that my job is not to try to try to just intervene and tell them how to operate and how to raise and things like that. But what I can do is I can share aggregated statistics that are, you know, anonymized and not material to anyone else. I can hint them to, you know, point them toward other people who may be more useful in particular situations and things like that. And and my job is really just to kind of stay out of the way and be supportive. I mean, if only all VCs thought like that. No, I'm I'm just joking. (laughs) Well, I'm the most humble of them all, so it's easy. (laughs) So let's talk about responsibly for a second then. So what stages do you invest at? What sectors, yes. what geographies, what check sizes? Yeah, I wanted to get a hat tip to uh, VC Braggs. There's that joke going around how humble, how VCs like promote themselves and pretend they're humble. So it's always a funny one. I mean, it is, uh, one, of, yeah. it is one of my goals to be featured on uh, VC Braggs. Yeah, or, or VCs. Yeah, I got to tell I've got to tell you, this person, he or she, I don't know, but yeah. they're very friendly and they've DM'd me behind the scenes quite a few times. They've never picked on me in public, which is good, but I, I keep myself in check. They sent me a hat in the mail. Oh, it was so fun. Amazing. It was so funny. This person's quite nice. I, I can't I can't say who they are, but they were in one of my rounds. I mean, tables. like I think at one point there was a whole meme going around that it was Jason Katakanis. It it doesn't sound like Jason Calcanis. But, but anyway, I'll, yeah, we'll, we'll leave we'll leave perhaps. the mystery there, right? <laughs> Jason, we're watching you. <laughs> <laughs> to to your question, so we're a we're a pre-seed fund with a ten million or less mandate in the U.S. Uh, and that captures roughly, in my opinion, maybe about 90 percent of pre-seed opportunities. Outside of some that go straight into like a seed style raise or an uncapped type of situation with a YC or something. We'll invest uh, sub 250k and really just try to be a follower, a follower check and a supporter, like I said. And um, we'll probably raise a couple of few funds, um, maybe four or five funds, but more more than likely keep them below 50 million. Um, really, my emphasis is returns, 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 and then impact is is a nice. Uh, it's a nice kind of like I hate to diminish the world of impact, but it's a nice cherry on top. It's a nice thing to feel good about, um, but it has to really drive the the success factor of the scale story, if, if, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to actually get into this in the main podcast a little bit because it's one of these, I mean, I've worked with a lot of impact ventures and uh, this isn't a question, but my my kind of theory is that as a founder operating in that impact space, you are always going to have a trade-off between financial returns and the social good, right? So you end up essentially uh, having- Well, this to, is where we start our argument, I guess. Yeah, potentially. So you you, you potentially <laughs> have to compromise on one or the other, right? Uh, so if you- if Potentially. You wanna, poten- <laughs> Actually, well, and this is the thing, right? Like, and I think yeah, a lot of these- This is where I think it'll be experience. really interesting for you and I both, because um, I know your background is in largely in controlling and CFO work and things like this, of course, with someone with your background, I imagine it's always very important to consider risk all the time. Yeah, you're you're effectively a risk expert in my in my view, right? It seems fair. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's one part of the whole thing. I I would argue that yeah. as a CFO with startups, it's all about how do you maximize growth, but sustainable. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah, so um. Speaking more generally toward the the impact story, um, <clears throat> if you think about if you think about extra financial aspects of a business as more sophisticated, if a customer takes more time to understand, if if a customer takes more understand to understand why they're buying something, mm-hmm. uh, for example, if this is better for the planet in my mind. Or if this is something that the build the team builds around a very um, particular set of cons- a, a larger set of constraints that that a uh, that a consumer may demand, then automatically it's it's pretty safe to just use the word more sophisticated. Now I don't you know it's not a legal word, but the the idea that that ESG or impact or other things are more sophisticated isn't isn't necessarily a stretch in my view. So I was thinking about this before the call today that, or before the the show here today, um, that in my mind, firstly, they say, a lot of people say high ESG scoring companies tend to embrace more complexity and they look toward extra financial measures in a more sophisticated way. You know, you take into example, a larger set of as stakeholders, you may de- you may need to measure more. You ne- may need to monitor more. You may need to make more difficult and complex decisions that aren't necessarily always um, uh, historical. Mm-hmm. You may need to, in fact, take a different set of risks, but you also are looking at a different capture. So let's say you want to broaden your scope of the number of investors or the number of customers you want to bring in and what some of their what some of their uh, different requirements may be, you broaden your stakeholder base, you market to a different channel, et cetera. And those things, I think just if, frankly, um, that risk that's that's taken perhaps in many ways is also where the financial potential yeah. reward is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, right. I, I think again, as I say, we'll get into this deeper in the main podcast, but I, look, I, I, I fully agree that, uh, when you are doing something that is, you know, in any case, kind of innovative, crazy, etc., uh, <laughs> you have to look beyond, like, you will end up building something that essentially, initially may not even look like it has financial returns, right? Because you are trying to impact on a very large space, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I can That's see right. how your rationale kind of plays out in, in those sort of uh, situations where if yeah. you make enough impact, actually, the financial returns will follow. Um, 
But just as we wrap mm. up the Prime episode, could I ask uh, if you have like three ventures in your portfolio, or even outside your portfolio, yeah. for that matter, that you're really interested or really excited about? Um, what what would they be and why? Oh, this is this is one of those things where I have to be, give a disclaimer. And any of one of our founders that are listening to the show, of course, <laughs> yeah, it's like choosing well, choosing your favorite baby. But anyway, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, I'm yeah, sure they'll forget. Yeah. Um, so I was going to try to make it more. Uh, sort of more, a little bit more international and potentially international. Mm -hmm. I was thinking maybe your audience base was was focused in somewhat some different countries, etc. So, firstly, uh, I listened to one of your podcasts by um, Michael Palink with Mac Ventures. Yeah, and he, and I love, I love the conversation there. I, I, I think people should check that out. He, he, um, he invested in a company of ours called Bank Loop, B A N Q L O O P. And they're getting they're getting a lot of attention in the UK as a, a a zero waste platform, and you can think of them sort of their 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 rollout strategy is one that surrounds real time waste processing with robotics and AI to uh, commoditize different waste streams in a highly efficient manner that is probably never been seen before, and and it's really fascinating. Uh, they. Uh, they were backed by Mac Ventures at Seed, oversubscribed, and um, James Buskovic's just awesome, and the team's awesome, and I'm really excited about them in general. So I wanted to give a shout out there. Uh, that's excellent. I love it when there's a bit of crossover. That that's always cool. <laughs> yeah, I just I kind of made that up. I know it wasn't intentional, but I just I just think <laughs> it's really really neat the people you have here on your show. So, um, so and then there's also Parcel Health, which is really interesting. There's this company, Parcel Health, that's ran by um, a pharmacist, and she. She um, built this product that is uh, made, it's a folded box to start as a go to market. But the idea is that this folded box can um, be used to reduce carbon, to reduce material waste, et cetera, for 8 billion plus uh, pharmaceutical orange bottles, which are largely non recyclable. And uh, it's really exciting. They're taking off in Canada right now, and they just got um, the University of Michigan with a branded, so a branded box uh, from the University of Michigan. That was kind of the win a couple of weeks ago. It was really, really fun. And so that's really interesting. Also, the, the company Climatize.Earth, um, they, they just got a big announcement and they're pushing forward in the fintech space, but it's more so climate fintech. And you could think of it something like an Acorns um, in the U.S., where instead of your rewards points going toward your airline or toward um, you know cash back or something like that, it goes directly into I wouldn't I don't wouldn't make claims, but climate friendly, let's say, um, uh, projects that have an internal rate of return. So you, you're putting your money to work in an investable sense into projects that you love. So renewable energy, solar, wind, et cetera. Amazing. I mean, those sound like super interesting uh, businesses. And what really interests me, again, in the sustainable space is just as many businesses that are focused on atoms as there are on bits, uh, which, you know, yeah. when you're talking about like uh, Parcel Health, for example, it's it's like a non-obvious uh problem to anyone sitting outside but like the minute you talked about it it's like oh yeah actually that's a pretty and by the way i used to manufacture cardboard boxes not for the pharmaceutical industry oh, but I, that was also one of the things so like you know 
thinking about kind of how how to control and manage waste as a result of that whole process is super interesting um listen zeka we're going to get into a lot of this in the main podcast thank you so much for for joining me today it's been absolutely great hearing how you got to uh building responsibly oh it's so wonderful thank you